If you've been listening for a while, you have heard this lesson a hundred times. Ship with what you have. Ship what you have. In other words, don't waste time looking for the perfect tool or process. Instead, ship quickly and iterate. And no one embodies this credo better than Marie Poulin. As one of the best Notion instructors out there, Marie has illustrated time and time again that shipping early and iterating leads to success. We chat about how she uses Notion to deliver her course, gets feedback early on, and leverages YouTube to grow her audience and make sales. Around 90% of her sales come from YouTube. Plus, in Build Something More, we chat about my potential switch from Airtable to Notion. Keep an eye out for how she delivers her course and why she delivers it in Notion, the importance of feedback and why people should not be afraid to get it, and of course, how she iterates. This is such a great episode. You can find everything that we talk about in all of the show notes over at howibuilt.it slash 289. You can also learn more about our sponsors, Hrefs, Nexus, and LearnDash over there. But for now, let's get into the intro and then the interview. Hey, everybody, and welcome to How I Built It, the podcast where you get free coaching calls from successful creators. Each week, you get actionable advice on how you can build a better content business to increase revenue and establish yourself as an authority. I'm your host, Joe Casabona. Now let's get to it. All right. I am here with Marie Poulin, the founder and CEO of Okie Dokie, the creator of the Notion Mastery course. I'm really excited to talk to her today. Marie, how are you? I'm great. I'm excited. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, a little behind the scenes stuff. Uh, if you notice, my mic sounds different, which most people won't. And so I'm just kind of like breaking the fourth wall or whatever. Uh, I am recording from a remote location. Um, but I'm really excited to do this uh, because I heard you on um, the the Badass Course podcast, Badass Course podcast. Uh, and you mentioned something that I thought was really interesting was that you deliver your Notion Mastery course in Notion. Um, And that struck me because I feel like a lot of creators spend a lot of time trying to find the perfect tool, which I think uh, Kehi is a fella that I I met slash learned about at Craft and Commerce when I went. And he talked about like the 10 versus 100 versus 1,000 versus $10,000 an hour tasks. And finding the right tool is like a $100 an hour task. It feels productive but it's not really making you money. Um, so maybe we can talk a little bit about um, where Notion Mastery is today, kind of as we record this, and then why you chose to go with Notion to deliver your Notion course. Yeah, so right now we're hosting about 2,200 people on an enterprise account of Notion. So it's a pretty... Uh, you know, substantial number of students that we that we manage in there. Not everybody's active at the same time. And of course, caveat being Notion is not an online course platform, of course. But we thought we're teaching how to master 
this specific tool, we have the ability to bring people in as members. What if we did this as a read-only workspace where just the administrators could have access to uh, actually writing content and whatnot, but the viewers themselves, the students, would just have that view-only access? And in the early years, we actually used to open up comment access too. So someone found a typo, someone had a question about something, a student could actually comment in real time and we could see those things and correct them as we go. So it's kind of a neat way of doing it. And we just thought, we're, we're sort of teaching people to push the boundaries of the tool itself. And so in a way, the course itself, hopefully, is already illustrating what is possible with the tool right when people come in. So I think there is that element of, whoa, I had no idea Notion could do this right when new people come in. So we just wanted to kind of push the boundaries, even if it's not necessarily having all of the bells and whistles that a lot of, uh, you know, course platforms and tools do. Yeah, that's really interesting, though, because it essentially gives people like a quick win immediately, right? Because maybe someone buys the course aspirationally, they've never used Notion. Now they have that first win of like actually logging into Notion to use the course, right? Absolutely. And there's instructions in the first email to say, you know, if you already have a Notion account, they're going to need to learn first, how do you switch from your own personal account to Mm. access other accounts that you have access to? So it's taken some time to build up those welcome emails to make sure that we're covering just enough, knowing that people also scan quickly and they don't read. So we don't want to overwhelm people right when they first get that welcome email. But we do need to make sure people do know how to access the course the first time that they log in. So it's definitely been a lot of trial and error over the, it's been almost three years that the course has been around, maybe two and a half, three years, I think. So it has gone through several iterations. Like when we first delivered it, it was us manually inviting guests into my personal workspace into a single page that had all of the lessons inside it. Um, And and again, this was the first iteration. I'm a huge fan of doing beta launches of courses. So it was such a great way to bring people in on the production part of it. So I was directly creating lessons around the questions that people had in real time. And they were part of that co-creation process, which I really... I just think it's such a a neat way to do it in the very, very beginning. And you get those kind of super fans that kind of help support it. And so there's people that have been in the course for three years and they have seen it through those iterations. And so I think once we hit about 100 students and the sales started to increase, I was like, okay, this is going to be untenable to manually invite people in. There's got to be a better way to do this. And we don't want to mix all of these different names inside of our our personal account. So it was going to be a bit tricky. But as ambassadors, some of us, we have access to enterprise level accounts. So I have a free free enterprise account. It's not going to cost me a team fee. So not everyone can necessarily do that. That's sort of part of our, the advantage of being a Notion Pro, a Notion Ambassador. So we, it doesn't cost us anything to run that, but it would be quite expensive if you were doing that. uh, You know, just anybody trying to do an enterprise account where you're adding members. And what the enterprise account allows you to do is just have a join link. So that way we can include that link when someone joins, they click the button, they've joined the workspace. And that really made that a bit more seamless. So yeah, it's gone through several, several iterations. And I still kind of think of it as a work in progress because Notion's always updating. They're adding new features. They're changing the way they do things. We have to go back and re-record videos or say, oh, that's not relevant anymore. So it's always kind of growing and evolving. And hopefully students see that as a, a resource that they can always come back to. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that, the enterprise thing up because I didn't, I didn't prep you on that question, but I was curious about it. Um, now, I could see that like making maybe sense for... Uh, someone who's doing like a really high ticket value private coaching. But I mean, it's not like your your course is not like kind of lower end, right? That's a maybe a, it's a reasonable price. Um, but I was really I was really curious about that uh, because, you know, you have like LearnDash or whatever 
um, full disclosure, Learn Dash is a sponsor of this episode and <laughs> almost every episode of How I Built It lately. Awesome. Um, but you have other LMSs that um, tend to be less cost prohibitive if you are. It doesn't necessarily charge per seat. So that was that was a interesting thing. And I, I think Notion is actually such a great tool for beta testing course content even before yeah. you decide to invest in a platform because that's such a great way to invite a handful of people in, even up to 100 people. I think you could get away with inviting people as oh, a wow. guest into a single page of content for free. So you don't pay for guests even on a personal plan. So for, I don't even know how much it is, five bucks a month or whatever for the personal yeah. plan. As a coach yeah. or someone you know running programs and wanting to share resource libraries with their clients, it's such a low-cost way of getting... Uh, inviting people in, having them interact with your content, and you can decide, do they get, you know, view access? Can they actually edit the content? So you could create little client portals for your different people and definitely do a high-end offer that also gives them access to resources that you build and you share with multiple clients. So honestly, I think Notion's a great way to kind of beta test and uh, get a course out for very low friction, low price point. Then if you find you're getting enough traction with your stuff, great. Now you can go invest in a learning platform. But in my experience, and I mentioned this to you before, my husband and I used to run a course platform. So we have seen it all. Like we have seen how people sign up for a tool six months before they're ready, or they have an idea for a course, but they've not done the first step in even testing if there's any interest in their course. And they're already, you know, futzing about with the funnels and setting up their tech and whatever. And they end up never launching or, you know, they kind of spend two years procrastinating and avoiding and being afraid of launching. And so I just think, again, Notion's just a really great cheap way to to get your ideas out there fast. Yeah, abs- that's such a great point. Uh, and uh, Jono Petrohillos was on the, uh, the podcast last year and something he mentioned was uh, most people spend like, six to 12 months on their course without having any idea if people are interested in it. I am totally guilty of that. I know it's awful, right? Like, and like, I'm like a recovering WordPress developer. So like setting the tech stack up was super easy for me. Right. Yeah. Um, The marketing stuff is hard. And so I just kind of gravitated towards that because I'm like, well, this is like a quick win for me. Really? Right. Yeah, exactly. But that's like, it was a waste of time. Whereas absolutely with Notion or like, I've been using the Mac app uh, Craft, or Mac and iOS app Craft for like taking notes. And instead of like writing a bunch of stuff and then like trying to put it in like a Google Doc or whatever, like they can, you just share a link to a thing, right? Similar to Notion. Um, using this tool that you're already using to get feedback as fast as possible, like you said, is is a much better way to create and and avoid burnout, right? I think people are so afraid of feedback. Like, I I think we're not really taught to um, give and receive feedback well. I think it's a really challenging thing for most people. So one of the first things I recommend is hopping on 20 calls with people. Like, you shouldn't even be thinking about hiring developers and, you know, building a prototype for a thing until you can hop on a call with 20 different people and actually get buy-in on your idea or someone willing to give you cash upfront to invest in that idea. So I think, like you said, people invest in the tech and they go way too far before even seeing, is this something someone wants or is this something I think is kind of cool? And with Notion Mastery, I was sharing a couple of tips and tricks and I was, you know, yelling it from the rooftops. Anyone that would listen, I was like, oh my God, this tool is amazing. I was showing my friends yeah. on the weekend how to use it. And I was just so excited about it. And at some point someone said, if you make a course on this, I will give you money. And then when the second person said that, 
I was like, okay, <laughs> there's something here. There's a momentum. There's a calling. There's something happening here that there's there's like a stickiness or a magnetism in the market that I hadn't seen before. And I was like, okay, there's something here. If I'm barely trying and people are begging for this, and I think people forget to kind of go through that. Uh, uncomfortable place where you're actually in conversation with people, you're hearing people's reflections and saying, yes, I need that thing. Not only that, I would pay you for that thing. Like the, the pain yeah. has to be strong enough that people are willing to pay for it. So I think people are really uncomfortable about that. But I'm a huge proponent of building and marketing at the same time. So you're teasing out those ideas on Twitter. You're testing where there's resonance. What are the tweets that you send out that everyone's replying to and being like, yes, preach, thank you, right? Just yeah. noticing <laughs> that resonance. And I just think a lot of people aren't quite paying attention that way. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. I think people, um, I've gotten, um, what's the best way for me to say this? I appreciate candor. Uh, more than I think most people, right? So someone will apologize for being direct in their feedback, but like I would much rather someone tell me I'm wrong and then so I can correct it than go on like living life thinking I'm right. I love directness. Yeah, Yeah, I so appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. But there's no point in uh, people saying like, oh, oh yeah, like your product's great. Like want to support you because you're my friend. That is different than real people searching for, trying to yeah. find the thing that that you're going to build. So, Yeah, absolutely. And we have, um, um, we'll say, a mutual acquaintance, uh, Brian Richards. He's been on the show a few times. I can always count on Brian to give me absolute direct feedback. Uh, so, like, he's usually the first person I'll run ideas by. And he'll be like, Love that. is this, like, is it, how does this help your goal of whatever, right? Helping podcasts. You need those friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> as opposed to like, I was in, a, I, I was in like a million mastermind groups a bunch of years ago and they're like, yeah, no, that sounds like a great idea. You should do that. And I'm like, cool. I'll, and I run with it and like, no one cares, right? Like that's not the kind of mastermind you want to be in. Yeah, exactly. Um, on that note, there is a book called Thanks for the Feedback um, that helps you, um, Give and Receive Feedback Well. It's by Douglas Stone and Sheila Heen. Sheila Heen. I will put that in the show notes. You can find that over at howibuilt.it slash 289. Because um, that's, yeah, that's a good book. My friend, uh, again, another friend of mine, Sean Hesketh, like he always gave pretty direct feedback. And I was like green in the field of like making instructional videos. Uh, and I was getting like frustrated. I'm like, why, like, why do you even hire me then to do this? And uh, he recommended this book and we had like a good talk, but. He's so like, a, yeah, it's like I got better, right? You get better when you get feedback or you don't waste six months on a course. Yes. So um, something that you mentioned about Notion that I think is me, I, maybe I just underestimate it. Like I know that there's like the Notion Nation. Is that what it's called? Um, I'm like a little bit outside of it um, because I don't like I, I'm like a wannabe user um, is it's like incredibly affordable. Like you mentioned, it's like four or five bucks a month for the personal account. I'm, I have the free account. Like the one thing I use it for is, is sharing these show notes um, or my chicken scratch notes with my VA. And then she like makes heads and tails of it. Um, and I don't pay for that at all. Like we're just kind of in a shared database. Um, yeah. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. Um, and so like, Compare that to Airtable, which is like 480 bucks for me and her to have like table stakes in a, in a base over there. Um, and Notion is so incredibly powerful and incredibly affordable as well. Yeah, big time. I, it still shocks me and, and surprises me. And I think that was part of their strategy too. Like I think the, 
they didn't used to have the free plan or in the same way. And so there's there's just so much you can do even on a free or just very cheap account if you wanted to invite people in as guests. Because I too used to use Airtable as well. And I found it so confusing to figure out how to collaborate with people. And it didn't feel like you could collaborate unless they were a full member. And uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I know every every software kind of has its pros and cons and, and the user experience challenges, but I, I definitely hired people to help me figure out Airtable. And I was like trying to learn it and, and hired a consultant and stuff. And so it, it's funny to me now that I'm doing that for people with with Notion. And so um, I, I can understand each tool kind of has their their pros and cons and things. Yeah, on. yeah, for sure. And we're going to, I'm not going to say debate because I think Marie will school me, but we'll, we're going to compare Airtable and Notion further and uh, build something more. So if you want to hear the ad-free extended version of this episode and every episode, you can sign up. Again, that'll be over on the show notes at howibuilt.it slash 289. It's 50 bucks a year. That's less than five bucks a month, which you've heard me say a lot at this point. That's less than uh, an iced coffee that I pay for routinely. So, Or less uh, than a Notion account, right? <laughs> less than a Notion account. Look at that. See? Um, so definitely check it out. Again, how I built it is slash 289. Okay. So if we are testing or something that you had early on was comments enabled in the base, that feels like a really interesting way to maybe build a community around your course. And so this is a two-part question. Um, did it help build a community around your course? And for that beta course, like, was it brand new Notion users or was it like early adopters? Because you, your course was pretty early, was like pretty early to market as well, right? So like, was it like people yeah. like who use it who are like, oh yes, I need this to level up? Or were they like, oh, I just heard of this Notion thing and now this course exists? Definitely more on the beginner side, for sure, because I think even myself, I was um, maybe more on the early adopter side. There was one Notion course that was already floating around. I think it was Notion Made Simple. Um, and that was the only thing I could find at the time. Even YouTube didn't have a ton of videos, and it was just such a big learning curve. And so people were seemed to be impressed with the way that I was using it. So it did seem like people that had heard about it, maybe knew it was cool for note-taking, but doing task management seemed like a whole other beast. There were all these nuances. And so it was definitely more you know, people that hadn't really done much with Notion. We were not dealing with too many advanced users. Um, but then, yeah, that kind of opens up the can of worms of, so we're using the tool that people are, are learning about, and that's where they're interacting. And we knew yeah. we needed some kind of interactive element, at least I think, whenever you're doing courses. At least the first time you're doing a course, you need that feedback cycle. And so the only way to do yeah. that is to open up comments or have some kind of community or forum. So we tried to set up a really, really simple database. And then even then, that was a learning curve around permissions. Like, do we give people full editing access? Do, and Notion also didn't have such granular features around, can they edit the database or can they edit the content inside the database? There were all mm. these funny things. So we'd have people adding stuff, but forgetting to add their name, people accidentally adding 20 different blank entries. Like, there were just funny <laughs> things happening. So it, it gotcha. felt like it was requiring a lot of cleanup. And I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, you don't know until you open up the floodgates that you're like okay, that wasn't so clear, or we didn't have instructions for that. And so, again, the more that you kind of let people in and see that feedback and see where people are struggling, you're tweaking, you're changing, you're adapting. And again, because Notion is so flexible, we can be making those changes in real time. I'm sure for some users that probably felt really overwhelming and they're like, oh, every time I log in, this looks different. What the heck? But I think in the beginning, it's kind of inevitable because you don't know what you don't know until you put your work out there. And then you're like, oh, that stuff that seemed really obvious to me is not really obvious to a beginner. So I really need to explain that better. Maybe I need to re-record that video. 
And I'll share with you, like, I got some pretty negative feedback from someone that I found out through a friend. And it was an older woman. And she was very unimpressed about how fast I was moving and clicking around. And she was she was angry. Like, she was just very frustrated yeah. that she felt I was going too fast. I thought, okay, like, that, it hurt. But I was like, that's really important feedback because I certainly don't want students to feel frustrated. So I take feedback very, very seriously. When I see people stumbling, I ask myself, where is it a lack of curiosity or maybe they're they're just being frustrated in the tool or themselves? And where is it that we're not presenting the material in the best way that's going to be helpful for people? So I really do like to take that that feedback seriously because I want it to be of a, of a certain quality, right? And you can't do that without that student feedback. Um, I feel like it might have been a long roundabout way of talking about the community piece of it. But over time, you know, we just realized we need more interaction with the students to be able to improve it. And that's where we needed to sh- kind of shift gears from Notion was a great place to start, but we I felt like we needed something separate that was built and designed for community that we could integrate with Notion and uh, not try and do it all inside of Notion. This episode is brought to you by LearnDash. Look, I've been making courses for a long time. I've taught at the college level and I've created curriculums for several different organizations, including Udemy, Sessions College, and LinkedIn Learning. When I create my own courses, there's no better option than LearnDash. LearnDash combines cutting-edge e-learning tools with WordPress. They're trusted to power learning programs for major universities, small to mid-sized companies, startups, and creators worldwide. What makes LearnDash so great is it was created by and is run by people who deeply understand online learning and adds features that are truly helpful for independent course creators. I love the user experience. And now you can import Vimeo and YouTube playlists and have a course created automatically in seconds. I trust LearnDash to run my courses and membership, and you should too. Learn more at howibuilt.it slash LearnDash. I guess longtime listeners of the show know that I, uh, I have taught both online and in the classroom. I taught at the University of Scranton for... A number of years after graduating, gosh, almost ten, I guess. Um, and getting that like real time feedback from students is so much easier, and because like they might not say anything, but you could see it on their faces. You could like, <laughs> read their faces totally, and their body language. Yeah, when you totally lose them, like they're just kind of like, like what is just like written across their forehead. Or I had one extremely candid student who like. She was great. She like changed my life because I explained this concept in WordPress of pages versus posts. And I explained it like I have like I had for years. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is this and that and that. And she's like, I have no idea what you just said. And I was like, wow, this eight year old concept that I thought was just like kind of really intuitive is not actually intuitive. And like that, like really reframed how I teach, how I taught WordPress for a long time. So I'm forever grateful to her. Uh, we we the, love students that give me. feedback. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And okay, so you moved you moved to a different community platform. What, what platform was that? Yeah, we used Circle. I had been using it with a couple other courses where I was a participant. I liked the simplicity. I sort of felt like even the way they use emojis, like mm-hmm. they're their docs were all done in Notion as well, their support docs and stuff. So I just thought, okay, nice. it feels visually like it kind of fits with it. And uh, there were some elements and features that still felt a bit in beta, but I sort of felt like it was the best fit at the time. And 
um, it's been working out pretty pretty well since. So I'm still really enjoying that platform. Awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, I used Circle for a while for my membership, and then I was like the only one uh, participating. Active, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, I was like, I don't really need to pay like 99 bucks a month for this. Um, but I am like reworking it. I think, again, this is kind of, this goes back to like what tool works for you and your audience. But um, I suspect, begrudgingly, Slack is probably where most of my audience hangs out mm-hmm. um, the most. And so I'll probably spin up a, a, the old Slack again, even though I wanted to avoid that. The necessary evil, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, so let me ask you then for Circle, um, did you get like buy-in? I mean, like with, I, I, my membership is is relatively small, and I'm I'm pivoting as we record this. So um, maybe if I started Circle like today with more focus on podcasting, like I do, maybe it would go better. Um, versus like changing from Facebook to Slack, back to Facebook to Circle. Um, but did you get did you get buy in? I mean, I, I guess there's going to be those students who just like don't participate at all, and they just want to like, sure run through the material or use it when they get stuck, but. Um, how how was moving to Circle? Yeah, like I think in the very, very beginning, it feels a bit awkward because you're trying to preset the different channels and figure out, okay, what are the topics and how are people going to use this? And you're, you're kind of taking a guess at it. So we have restructured it a couple of times, but we tried to precede a bit of content or have a little bit of content planned in advance mm-hmm. and some pinned welcome messages and stuff to kind of help make it clear. And then I think we had some conversations with some of our early, really active users and just said like, hey, would you mind like posting something in here in this channel? Oh, yeah. We did hire uh, one of our really active students as well, Stacy, we hired her to do some sort of community support and even just posting something weekly to kind of, you know, these conversation starters. So I do think the very, very beginning when you're just getting a community off the ground is really challenging. But because we do have a fair volume of people that are kind of just joining every day, we have new students, uh, at least a, a few a day. Um, you know, we're going to get people joining fairly regularly. And one of the things we've tried to do now is bake into the material oh, guess what? We have conversations that go way deeper into this in circle. So trying to incentivize it and also, hey, when you're ready, when you've completed the level zero challenge of creating your now page, make sure to drop that in the circle and introduce yourself and say hi. And I think there's also an element of even people hiring other people within the community. You know, you have people like, hey, I'm looking for someone who can yeah. do my content or marketing or whatever. We say there's a, a channel specifically for making asks and things like that too. So I think it kind of lends itself well to you're going to get out of it what you put in. But we also recognize for some people, communities can feel like a bit of a distraction. But we really want to make it clear there are things that just reading curriculum that just kind of get missed. And so sometimes those deeper, more nuanced conversations or someone being like, hey, you know what? That part wasn't clear. How would I apply that in this circumstance? Other people likely have the same question. So we've really tried to do a good job over the the last couple of years as it's evolved to incentivize a little bit of that and just say, hey, it's always there if you need it. No worries if you just want to lurk and, and kick back. But these conversations are happening over here and you might miss out. So if you ever feel frustrated, you're not sure about something, hop over here, ask us, like our team will, someone is always going to answer within minutes, hours, certainly yeah. within 24 hours for sure. So we try to incentivize that. So it takes, it takes time for sure to even figure out how people want to use it. Yeah. I think, I think that's um, absolutely true and a great point. And uh, I think that what I thought in the beginning, I guess, was I I would just spin up circle and people would come right like Ta-da! if you build it they will come it's a like party. here they are yeah hey and it was not that right and even <laughs> mm-hmm. you know I tried like using Zapier to schedule 
like Monday, Wednesday, Friday posts, but like people get pretty wise to that. And they like, it's not just like, oh yeah, Friday wins again. Like, here we go. Let's do this. Um, people really want to connect on a, a, a more personal level than that. And so I think that's something to keep in mind as I think about how I'm going to relaunch my community for both the creator crew and uh, this cohort-based course that, again, as we record this, I'm working on. Hopefully, as this comes out, it's out. Nice. Uh, <laughs> um, but that's—I I, I love that. Um, I want to—I want to pivot to um, how you promoted yourself and your course, and we'll get to YouTube um, in a minute. But I was scrolling Twitter today, and I saw that you have a pretty cool thread about uh, how you you're using Notion. Uh, to build like a skincare routine. Um, something you mentioned in the Badass Course podcast was you like to do the really advanced stuff. So you hired, I think, was it Georgia to do the, um, or um, somebody else from your Kat community Mulville. to do. Oh, it was Kat. Great. Um, yeah. Kat's, shout out to Kat. She's great. Um, She's amazing. You hired Kat to do kind of the uh, the the more beginner or more um, foundational notion stuff. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about like what inspired you to make that thread? First of all, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I mean that that's a good point. So that is how I promoted the course. I share how I'm using it, like real world use cases. Sometimes they're really nerdy. Sometimes they're advanced. Sometimes they're really basic. Uh, sometimes people are like, "Whoa, the design of that's beautiful," and they get curious. And so I loved. I like to share elements of my personal life and sort of this is this is how it looks like in real life, not just for business. You can use it for personal. And so I'm very, very transparent. I like to share a lot behind the scenes. I love that kind of content when someone's like, here's how we do X. I want to see the real nitty gritty details behind the scenes. So it's yeah. kind of how I let people in and they feel connected to me. It's going to be very niche sometimes. Some of the things I share are only going to be relevant to a very small handful of people, but I share them anyway. And, and people are kind of intrigued by what I'm hoping is that they'll see an advanced use case and translate it to their own databases and think, oh man, I could use that for a product inventory for my tech equipment over here and just kind of give them inspiration and ideas. So it kind of builds my expertise and, and people kind of get to know me a little bit. Um, and so that's been a big part of kind of how I've I've built that. Uh, I think of it as the yeah, curiosity engine. People get curious about like, oh, wow, that's interesting. I never really thought about using it that way. So those tweet threads always lead to really interesting requests or uh, people checking out my YouTube channel and going down a rabbit hole. And then that always, you know, leads to the course sales. And so the I think Twitter and YouTube work really well together as these sort of complementary forces. So it's like I test the waters on Twitter to see what's sticky. And then I record the the more sort of permanent evergreen videos on on YouTube. I love that. Because like you're showing, you know, like there's the old adage, right, that those who can't do teach, but that's really not the case anymore, right? People, especially if they're buying like a high dollar online course, they want to make sure that you can do as well as teach. And so kind of showing that sort of thing, right? I was on, I've been on like cold pitch calls where someone just like fills in a spreadsheet and they're like, I can help you make this much money. Oh, you just got to do like sell these things and you've made $10 million. And I'm like, yeah, all I have to do is sell Easy peasy. <laughs> $10 million worth of stuff. What? Uh, thank God you're here. Um, and so like the fact that you're like showing and telling, I think is, it, I mean, you've said it, it's a great way to lead to interesting requests. So now you're getting questions that you can answer and more content ideas. And 
maybe, I don't know if the, your course has case studies, but like things to put, more stuff to put in the yeah, course. Yeah, examples, use cases, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but to answer your question around like the decision even to hire someone else to do the the more beginner yeah. stuff, like when I got that feedback from that woman, it did make me realize like I get so animated and excited by what Notion can do and, and the possibilities and like, we could do this, we could do that. And I have ADHD. I get very excitable. I speak very fast. It takes me a lot of effort to slow the F down and take things <laughs> one step at a time. Remember what it's like to be a beginner. And so Kat has that that learning and teaching background. Like she's she's that's her jam and she designs trainings. And so I was like, you know what, if I had someone else with this outside lens where we could work together on something and, and slow it down a little bit and really make sure we've covered the basics, but we only really need to do that once. So she actually helped design a beginner training that that's now a recording. So, Hey, you want to go through the curriculum in a written form with gifts and whatever. Great. Or you can kind of fast track it and do this two hour weekend workshop. It's recorded. There's a workbook that goes along with it. Nice. And so you know, she really helped set the pace for that and say, we're going to cover this in five minutes. By the end of it, the student can do this and like really stepped it through. I have no interest in running a beginner workshop on foundations. Kat would be yeah. happy to do that. So I was like, great, let her do that and let her do the stuff she's really good at, super patient, answer beginner questions. To me, like the novelty ran off very quickly. And I'm like, I want to push the tool to its limits and speak to those advanced users. So as long as we've covered both of those bases, and that's not to say Kat doesn't also do the advanced stuff, but I think we just needed a little bit of a different approach and someone who could has that teaching background that could really um, approach it a bit differently. Differently. So I have such respect for teachers. Like I've spent the last, you know, 18 months, two years learning what it means to be a good teacher and trying to improve my teaching because it really matters to me that this is a good experience. And knowing how to use Notion really well is very different than learning how to how to teach Notion. Like that, those are very different skill sets. So it's been something I've been working on is how do I make sure to explain these concepts in a way that makes sense? How do you break down something that is kind of difficult to explain and these roll-ups and these lookups and these more complex concepts in a way that lands for people and makes sense and they can translate to other use cases and other parts of their life. So it's been, it's been a journey. Yeah, that's such a, that's, um, it's a really smart thing to realize, right? About yourself. Cause like, I'm sure you've, I, I'm drawing on my own experiences a lot here, but I'm sure a lot of people can relate to Maybe they've been in like a corporate training or like a seminar that they had to do for work. And the person presenting is like super bored presenting this thing that they've presented a million times. Um, and like they don't want to do it. And like and you can tell um, I again, I had to teach like WordPress to a large portion of the University of Scranton, like when we were like rolling it out to do like teacher sites and stuff like that. And it was me and another person. And this person was like, just click on this and it's really easy and this and that. And I'm like, you just made the whole room feel like a bunch of dummies. Oh, like, yeah. Because yeah. like you're saying it's easy and this and that. They, they don't think it's easy. That's why they're here. Um, and it's easy to you because you like to focus on the advanced stuff, person. Um, and so, you know, I think like recognizing that and finding a person who's like really passionate about teaching the beginners um, and the beginner stuff can really impact how they approach and use that tool. Because I know people who came away from that training with like wanting to touch WordPress even less than they did Absolutely. coming into it. 
Well, and I think we had that experience in the beginning too. Like we were, we were going too fast, too quickly. And then people felt stupid. And then they're like, notions not the tool for me. I'm out of here. And I'm like, well, that's not going to grow the course if we're just making right. people who are frustrated and, and not like beating themselves up. It's like, oh, that's like, that's a crummy feeling as a teacher. And I think a lot of people build products because they want to make money and whatever. That's fine. But I legitimately care about the impact that I have. And if the impact that I have is worse than, than when they started yeah. and they feel like they got ripped off, like that is not okay with me. So I, I just, you know, part of it's my own insecurity. I'm like, I, d- I don't, I don't feel comfortable or good about people having a bad taste in their mouth, having invested in this sort of thing and being frustrated. So I I owe it to myself and to my students to make a really great experience. And I want to kind of hold a certain standard, even for other people of like, what does a great course experience feel like where you're actually so stoked to give that person money? You're like, best money I ever spent. Like, that's the feeling that I want to create. And so I have to factor in, this is not just... Uh, the way I want to build the course, I have to factor in there are people that are going to have learning disabilities. There are a ton of people with ADHD in the course, and I have ADHD myself, but it looks very different from person to person. Some people preferring the verbal instruction, audio instruction, and seeing uh, supporting gifts and examples and things like that. Some people want to see a pre-made thing and pick it apart and see how it works. Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do we make sure to kind of address these different learning styles and stuff? So uh, we actually hired a curriculum designer to to help us as well. I think maybe a year and a half into the course. Nice. Um, like last summer. And that was like the best experience. So we relaunched it with new content, new structure, new style. And we get so much feedback from students that saw the first couple versions. And they're like, holy moly, like this new version of the course is on, it's on another level because we are really factoring in what does the student need to know first before they jump here, before they jump here and really making sure it's, it's, um, you know, learning outcome based. So it's, I'm learning a lot in this whole process of, of how to be a better teacher and create a better experience. Yeah, and this makes me think about how important it is to charge the right price for your course, right? Because I think it's really easy for people to be like, no one's going to buy this. Like, I'll just price it at like 50 bucks. And if like, I say that about my workshops. I'll price it at 50 bucks. If 10 people buy it, I'm happy. But like, yeah. I that's not reinvest back into the workshop or whatever, or the course yeah. money, right? Um, whereas I don't want to anchor your course to any price in case it changes. But you mentioned in... Uh, a previous podcast that like maybe early on you were charging, I think it was like 250 or 350 and it went up from yep. there, right? It was 250 and, and I think you could add a hundred bucks to get a one hour consultation with me. And yes. oh my gosh, those booked so fast. I was so burnt <laughs> out. I had weeks and weeks of calls and I had to shut that down uh, and say no for a while because it was a little bit too intense. Uh, but people were very willing to, to, you know, pay for that extra hour. But I will say, hopping on an hour call with people that are actually going through your content and learning the tool, you learn so much about where those common problems pop up over and over again. So I really feel like that was the consulting side. And I think um, hopping on calls with people, you just learn so much more than you ever could through written feedback, right? So whatever opportunity course creators have to whether it's holding a weekly office hours. And that was something I did when I first launched. It was six weeks every week. We have a call together and anyone could ask questions. And that, again, that feedback, that um, people asking questions and just really hearing people's struggles, that stuff will shape your your content. And it should shape your content, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I can speak, I'm I'm doing the the call thing now. Like I, I put out a tweet, like, what if I told you I could help you make $10,000 with your podcast, right? And and DM me for details. Uh, any DMs, I send them a Calendly link and I say, look, this is not going to be a hard sell or a soft sell or anything. 
I'm working on a cohort-based course. I want to make it good. Uh, and so a couple of the, I, I've done a few of those calls so far. One, the person was like, I don't think this is right for me, but I, I want to hire you to be like my podcast coach. And I'm like, great. Like, so those calls are not only helpful to, yeah, not only helpful to make great content, but to lead to other opportunities as well. I think that's Absolutely. so smart. I think what's so interesting too is like you might not have thought of yourself as a podcast coach or maybe you do, but sometimes someone just asking for, can I hire you to do X? You're like, well, guess I'm an ocean consultant now. I mean, that's kind of how the whole thing started. And I was like, well, I guess there's now a whole new industry that didn't really exist before. And now we can talk about it and share our tips with other other people. And then what does it look like to consult with a team versus solo? And it just kind of opened up so many interesting cans of worms that we got to decide, okay, do we expand our services beyond the course or do those services become a funnel to the course? So it's been really interesting. This episode is brought to you by Store Builder from Nexus. When it comes to setting up an e-commerce site, you have a choice between easy but limited or a limitless platform that you need to manage yourself. Until now. Store Builder is e-commerce made easy for everybody. It saves you time and delivers a storefront that lets you get to selling. As someone who set up multiple e-commerce sites, I can tell you that Store Builder has been a much easier experience than anything else. Answer a few questions, add your content, and sell. Store Builder was created and is supported by e-commerce experts at Nexus. Get the speed, security, and support you need when you need it. Are you ready to launch your perfect online store? Head over to howibuilt.it slash storebuilder for a special offer. That's howibuilt.it slash storebuilder. And we haven't talked about YouTube yet. I heard about you through YouTube. Specifically, I heard about you through uh, Brian, who I mentioned earlier, and then my friend Aaron Flynn, mentioning like how great your YouTube videos were. Uh, and then I, I saw you pop up in a few different places. Uh, so what made you go on YouTube and then how have you leveraged YouTube to, because you mentioned like YouTube kind of leads to course sales sometimes. Uh, sometimes. Oh yeah. hundred yeah, right. 90% okay, cool. of our yeah. course sales come from YouTube. Absolutely. Oh, great. Uh, so like, how do you leverage that? Right. Cause that's like, that seems like an insurmountable thing to me. To start a YouTube channel? No, to like or make, make other money besides AdSense from YouTube, right? Like, ah, so interesting. I, maybe yeah. my, I mean, like I get like sponsor deals, right? Or like brand deals or whatever. But like, I don't, I don't know that I contract, uh, contract any direct sales from my YouTube videos. Uh, and like and the sure podcast is channel like- is different, but. I'm sure a lot of it's industry specific, like the fact that at the time there wasn't a lot of content around Notion, Notion being so complex, how the heck do you use this? Like, is this me? Is this Notion? Like, it was just this big open canvas. And so when I started on YouTube, there wasn't a lot there. And it was Joel Hooks that uh, recommended, Mm. he's like, you need a YouTube channel. And I was like, oh, YouTube, like that's the last (laughs) thing. Like I was so self-conscious about being on camera, being in front of people, speaking was like a huge fear of mine and just everything about it gave me hives. I was like, oh, are you kidding me? But screen sharing and showing people how to use Notion with your head in the circle and whatever, I was like, video makes the most sense in terms of teaching these concepts. So I very reluctantly spun back up a really old YouTube channel that just had a couple probably cat videos on it or something. (laughs) And again, like I did not have the right equipment, no 
my mic settings were off. Like you can look at some of my really old videos and it's amazing to me even to hear how quiet my voice is and like just very, you know, I was so scared. I was just so scared of putting myself out there, but I, I just knew that that was a big blocker. It was something I wanted to get better at. I knew that mastering video was going to be a skill that could serve me in so many other areas. So I was like, suck it up, princess. Here we go. <laughs> I think I did a, a small challenge that was 100, 100 days of vlogging. Okay. And that wow. was, I think, what really helped me get over that hurdle. And so it was every day, even if it's two minutes or just something, just making a quick little video, me in the garden, here's how I'm feeling today, whatever, just getting into the habit of recording those videos and not feeling silly on camera. So that was kind of the beginning of it. And so then by the time, you know, Joel was like, get your butt on YouTube, I was like, okay, made the first couple of videos. And the traction was so fast with those videos and comments and people had lots of opinions. And uh, it, it was pretty new. And it's, it, YouTube can be wild, wild west with the comments, right? Especially like yes. people make comments about your appearance or your equipment or the way you did something wrong. And so it took a while to kind of build up that thick skin and realize you're helping more people than not by publishing. Like you help no one by not publishing. You're going to help some people when you do publish and there's going to be some trolls and people that that have strong opinions and whatever. And I'm just going to improve. The more that I do it, it's going to get easier. So it felt so awkward in the beginning, but like one of the videos that has the most views, I don't even know, like just a stupid amount of views, uh, hundreds of thousands, was in 2019, terrible camera, terrible mic. Like I had people being like, her videos are great, but her hair is really ratty. <laughs> I was like, wow, oh my God. people are so, people are just so brutal on YouTube. Uh, so I was like, note to self, work wow. on hair and get better audio <laughs> and whatever. So it took a while to build that muscle and build that comfort, but the traction that I was getting from that, the views, was what started to make me realize, okay, like time to upgrade the equipment. Let's get a better camera. Let's learn about this. Let's learn about editing. How can I make this uh, easier, more interesting? How can I slow down? And all of that learning was also helping me on the video side in the course. So I just knew it was a set of skills that I think was worth learning for, of course, anyone that's thinking about teaching. If there's any video in your courses at all, I yeah. just think YouTube is just kind of a no-brainer. And then the first thing I did was just put a Hey, are you interested in this? Grab my templates. And I mean, that led to so many signups. Like that was the beginning of my list building. Uh, 10,000 people joining probably in a couple months uh, from never sending out wow. emails before. So it was such a huge jump. I'm like, and then Twitter exploded. The um, CEO of or COO of Notion reached out to, like, how can we collaborate? And so there was suddenly this very rapid attention that happened in three months time. I committed to doing one video wow. a week, every week for 12 weeks. So from September to December. And then again, it just got so much random buzz. And I feel like, you know, like people were putting me on a pedestal and they were DMing me and reaching out. And it was it was a lot really fast. And I was like, I don't have the confidence for this. Oh my gosh. I just wanted to like <laughs> curl into a ball and hide. Or yeah. it's like, I love teaching people notion, but the idea of like putting your face out there, putting your work out there for so many people to see was super, super scary. Um, and it just, it gets easier over time, you know? So it, it's something that I had to push through. I, it feels kind of like a no brainer now. I'm like, yeah, okay, let's record a YouTube video, whatever. But that was a slog. It took a really long time to start to feel a sense of comfort. And then once the course was kind of ready and in a place that can, I can turn on those sales, I think it was maybe two months of YouTube before the course was ready to sell. And then I switched that sign up for my list to, hey, did you like this? I've got a course on this. And, you know, I can look at the stats from all the intake forums and I'd say 90% of the course people mention YouTube as the way that they, they found me. So it's wow. not inconsequential. 
Yeah, so you so you had like an in-video call to action asking people. No, not even in video, just in the description of of like oh, dang. of random videos, just like, yeah. hey, did you like this content? And I think there's something about the nature of this notion content. Like I can look back and see where people pause something and they're like, wait, at 307, how the heck did you do that? Because I was moving so fast, like I didn't remember what it was like to be a beginner. And so every time I'd make a video, people were like, that's nice, but how the heck did you do that? Like, oh, I need to make a follow-up video. So I'd make a follow-up video. And so there's there's like a stickiness to the Notion content that in a way it felt easy. The comments were like feeding me a never-ending list of ideas of videos to make. And just because again, Notion's docs were... It's like how to use the product at a basic level, but I was like, yeah, but what if you did this? And so people were just like, how did your brain think of using it in that way? And, um, you know, I get comments sometimes where I didn't recognize that was Notion. Like, it looks so beautiful. How'd you get those colors? How did you do that? And I was like, oh, it's just like, I'm used to bending the product to my will, right. but other people maybe don't know how I do that. So it, there's an intriguingness to it that people are like, okay, give me more, give me more content or you know, I'll just tease some really advanced concept, but I have to be very careful now to say, this is just a demo. This is not a how-to because sometimes people get angry if they're like, but how do I do that? I'm like, figure it out. Take my course. (laughs) Yeah. So I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's taken a while to figure out how to do the call to action. Um, how is the video serving the course? Is this a sneak peek? Is it like not giving too much away that I'll show you how to do that in the course. So it's, it's been a process. Yeah, I, you know, I think I'm coming to an epiphany right now that I probably made my videos when I was doing WordPress, especially like a little too in depth. I'm like, got to cover all the bases. And then people mm. are probably like, well, I don't need to take your course now. Like, I just exactly. learned how to use the block editor with this course. Um, well, plus, yeah. like, I don't want to dog on WordPress too much, but like, that community <laughs> is notoriously cheap. Hey, it's how I got my start too. WordPress websites hey, for sure. Yeah, like, see that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, so I have a, a couple of thoughts here, right? A hundred days of vlogging. Um, Dickie Bush was on the show earlier in the year. He talked kind of about the same thing, like forming that habit. And I talk about getting your reps in. Like people are like, how do you get so comfortable in front of a podcast mic? I'm like, you just got to get practice, in front of the podcast practice, mic, practice. right? The beautiful thing about like recording stuff for the internet is you don't have to release it. Like True. It, just <laughs> do it. Like I, I tell, I tell my students. If you're having trouble starting, record just like five demo episodes. And if they're trash, trash them. And if they're good, release them or release them later for behind the scenes stuff yeah, or whatever. It's good practice. But, you can't, yeah. I feel like you can't, don't get to skip the messy middle where you're just putting in those reps. Right. Yeah. Right. It's like uh, um, Rivers Cuomo from Weezer, right? Like they had like, I think it was four years or six years between their first album and their second album because he wanted to skip the sophomore slump that most musicians go through and it didn't work like it didn't work um you don't get to skip the hard like that hard part um and then for trolls i i mean i'm a dude so i think fewer people are probably commenting on my appearance um but for any mean comments i always make sure to heart those mean comments because in my in my head canon they're like does he know I was like being a, a jerk or whatever? <laughs> like uh, I just I, I just want to I want to assume they're very confused as to why I liked that comment. So, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Such a great little little way of getting back at people. Yeah right. Yeah, it's like because like responding mean to trolls just like kind of gives them power, right? Like, uh, but Absolutely. being like thanks, right? And then they're like, oh, wait, that's not what I wanted. Um, and then you blew my mind just having the call. Like, I'm like, all right, I got to plan the call to action. I got my button on my stream deck. Time it perfectly. Just put it in the description. 
Like that's like. Yep. And so you can add end cards later, right? Like, so I've gone right. back and maybe even slightly reworded videos or update a different thumbnail and just make a couple tweaks to the description after the fact. Yeah. And no big deal. So I'm like, I'm like, do as I say, not as I do. Um, just <laughs> shipping, just shipping wherever you're at, because every single decision like that is something that prevents you from shipping. And a video without a perfect call to action, you know, is is better than not shipping that video at all. So I will always go back and kind of optimize it later and just focus on getting the, the reps in. Yeah, love that. And that was actually going to be one of my, maybe my final question here in the main interview, which is, um, do you spend a lot of, t- like, because like stats show that like 80% of people click on a video because of the headline or the thumbnail. And so I feel like I spend like too much time on that. Um so like, you know, was it, it's, it feels like your content was the thing that was the most important thing you were doing was like answering questions people had or showing yes. kind of like unlocking a new level of thinking for people or like showing them what's yeah. possible. And I think maybe it, at the time there just wasn't enough content around it. So if people were searching for the thing and they found my video and there it is, it's answering their question, they're sticking mm-hmm. around. Um, and then of course YouTube gets smarter about recommending, oh, if this person watched this and then this, right. they start to recommend more of your content. And so obviously that that does improve things. But, you know, I just had kind of crummy, crummy thumbnail. I didn't, I just didn't do any of the things that you were supposed to do. I was just mm-hmm. shipping videos imperfectly with like not so great resolution sometimes, or my audio wasn't quite there. Um, just whatever, just shipped it. And then once I learned about those things, I'm like, okay, I can do a better job in the thumbnails. Okay, let's you know, let's build a standard look and feel for the thumbnails and stuff like that. But and now there's tons of Notion content. There's lots of other creators and, and people. Um, and each one kind of has their own style, right? I think people are going right. to be drawn to the different creators, whether it's their voice, the style of their dashboards, you kind of recognize their style and stuff like that. So I think there's room for a lot of us. A lot of us are teaching some of the same concepts. We just kind of have a different spin on it. Um, and so, yeah, I don't think too much about those details. Like, I've never been one to be like, must optimize for the... <laughs> Every now and then I go in and I'm surprised to look at some of the interesting stats and be like, oh, actually, people are phrasing it like this instead of this. So if I'm using mm. Knowledge Hub, do they know that I mean this? And so it's good to just kind of look at those things and just make those tweaks. But, you know, I try not to let those tweaks prevent me from making progress and then iterate later. And, and you can always go back and improve it. So I don't yeah. fuss too much about... I probably could stand to or like hire someone to actually go through and be like, hey, here's what your data is telling us we think you should do x i'm like awesome i will go and do that but i'm not the one that um that cares too much about that stuff there are some instances where like for example building a second brain with tiago forte yeah, popular just course. finished that book oh my god right it, yeah. it's great it's i i did his course when i was trying to figure out how to structure my notion uh setup and so i did a video on how to use Para in Notion. So like that's yeah. a very, very popular video, but it's also really old and outdated. So it's actually a really great idea to go back to your most popular content and then refresh it and say, hey, here's how I'm doing Para now. Here's how I'm doing my weekly agenda now, because that was my most popular video. So mm. even that's a simple strategy that like takes something that's been really sticky and had the most engagement and do like remix it, do something different with that. So it doesn't always have to be something new. It can be, here's where I'm at with that now, which is um, something I learned from Ali Abdal, his part-time YouTuber nice. Academy. If you're, if yeah. you're serious about YouTube, like that course is outstanding. Awesome. I will have a link to, well, Marie's channel, of course, uh, building a second brain. I just finished the book and it like bloom. That was the first time I ever heard of para. And I reorganized my craft uh, notebook Love it, like yeah. for that um, and then Ali Abdal I'll link to that 
all of that stuff in the show notes. Again, that's over at How I Built It slash 289. It sounds like as we wrap up here, maybe our big takeaways are use the tools you're most comfortable with, ship and iterate. Um, and uh, you can always update later, right? Oh, and of course, uh, show people what you're doing to give them ideas. Don't necessarily, like maybe keep the how behind the paywall. And I think uh, the first time you interact with someone shouldn't be asking for the sale, right? So there should be that you're sharing what you're working on behind the scenes. People have heard about it several times and it's not just like, hey, I'm working on this thing here, you know, pay me money for it. So be willing to, I think, be very generous in the beginning when you're sharing like what you're thinking about, how you're working on it, those insights, those tips. But yeah, keep the, keep the good stuff behind the paywall. Yeah, love it. The, val- the value stuff, right? The thing that's worth yeah. paying for. Um, be generous in the beginning. Don't, yeah, you, you don't ask somebody to marry them on the first date, usually. Exactly. Um, you don't want to ask for money, uh, the first, especially if, again, especially if it's like a high dollar thing. If it's like a $10 thing, maybe, but um, it, I'm definitely going to, based on our conversation here, uh, and this is, a, I think this is another important thing to to take away is like, don't like copying other creators is, might not work for you. Um, but this idea generation of, I have a few good tools. One's like a podcast planner that I'm working on converting from Airtable to Notion. Uh, I got some advice that maybe uh, more people would be interested if it was a Notion database instead of Airtable basis. So, um, but I mean, I'll keep both of them, but have the Notion one. Um, Add that as a, a call to action in the description. That's like, really, I'm doing what like all the huge YouTubers that get like, 10,000 downloads in like the first hour or more like do and that's not that's not going to work for me right someone's going to stumble upon my video because they're like five ways to make money podcasting and that's when I say like hey you want five more ways like get this thing so awesome Marie this has been so fantastic thanks so much for spending some time with us today again if you want to hear uh, probably Marie convinced me in real time to switch from Airtable to Notion um <laughs> You can join the creator crew. Uh, it's just five. It's less than five bucks a month. So, um, but before we go, if people want to learn more about you, where can they find you? If you want to interact and say hello, you can say hi on Twitter at Marie Poulin. Uh, you can pretty much find me at Marie Poulin if you if you Google me. Um, and you can check out our company website is weareokidoki.com, and my more personal website is mariepoulin.com. Awesome. I will link to all of that and everything we talked about in the show notes over at howibuilt.it slash 289. Marie, thanks so much for joining us today. I really appreciate thanks it. Thanks for having me. It was awesome. My pleasure. Thanks to everybody listening. Thanks to our sponsors. And until next time, get out there and build something. <laughs>